Well, for this movie in particular, saying it in 1979 was one, um, because narratively speaking, it was sort of the golden age of adult filmmaking in which like there was a booming business. Horror and porn have always had this sort of symbiotic relationship as outsider genres. You didn't need to, you didn't need permission. You didn't need to be part of Hollywood. You can make them independently and go straight to the consumers. So the 70s was a big time for that with adult filmmaking. And you had VHS like just starting to come up towards the end of the 70s and obviously boomed into the 80s. Also in the 70s, you know, when you made an adult movie, you still had to make the rest of the movie besides the porn scenes. And I wanted to make a movie about filmmaking, but I didn't want to make a movie about people making a horror movie because it was too meta and not interesting to me. But that was a way to invite the audience into thinking about filmmaking. Also, the 1970s, certainly in America, is probably one of the most revered times for cinema. And then lastly, it's just sort of like a the movie has deals with two generations of people in this the 1979, a generational change and things like that as far as a decade change or whatever. So all that together just kind of became like this milieu that made sense. If we really are making a good, dirty movie, I don't want to just carry the equipment. I want to be in it. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin and Dave. Hello. 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 Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod. This week, Kevin has provided us with a couple of selections. We're going to begin with the movie X from this year. Yeah, so uh, this week I wanted to go with a, a film within a film theme. So movies where another film is being shot. And I decided I would go. I want. I want to uh, get in on a little of you guys' action, your inspiration. This is the greatest horror movie of 2022 so far. This is also the greatest film within a film movie ever made. Okay. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Interesting. Uh, I like it. I like the take. Well, it's your take. <laughs> <laughs> So this is Ty West. This is a director that we've we've now featured. What? This is our third Ty West. Too many, fourth, too fourth many Ty times. West. Yeah, th- this is the last one for a long time. <laughs> well, I mean, it might not be because you know there's another one coming out adjacent oh, right. to this movie. Right. Uh, this I think this is my favorite Ty West movie. Uh, no joke there. Uh, came out this year, but however, it was filmed in 2020 in the heat of the pandemic. But they went to New, Z- New Zealand because New Zealand somehow defeated COVID, had no cases. They had very strict protocols. So Ty West brought the crew to New Zealand and filmed this movie. Obviously, it was delayed because, you know, theaters weren't open. The three of us had a chance to go see this in the theater. But essentially what you have is another great A24 film where Ty West gets a little bit more traditional than Ty West typically gets. You have six, I quote-unquote, friends that are driving out into the middle of Texas to a boarding house on a farm owned by two very old people. I'm not sure if it's ever quite stated how old these people are, but by the looks of them, they are fucking old. And what they want to do is they want to shoot a porno film because it's 1979, the birth of VHS is happening. People don't have to go jerk off in a theater anymore amongst other people sitting next to them. They are now able to go buy VHS tapes. It's kind of like streaming with music. Anyone can make something and get it out there now if you just print some VHS tapes. So they want to make a porn in this boarding house and make some money. And the older couple, they don't know that this is actually what's happening. So you have uh, an hour and 45-minute movie where half of it is a little bit of building tension like Ty West does well and getting to know these characters and watching porn. And then the back half of the movie is straight-up bonkers horror. Just really great, flips the slasher genre on its head, uh, gives you a really unique take on it, and some other, some other you know things that it explores that we can talk about. For me, uh, this is Wes's best movie. Um, there's so many obvious homages to to other movies, and I know that in other West movies you can pick up like his inspiration. Um, 
you know, usually the specific movie that he's picking up his inspiration on, definitely like uh, period pieces and stylistically. This one, however, just like checks off all of my like wink wink boxes. I love this one. We can dig into it. I could talk about it for hours. Uh, Dave, what did you think? I love this movie. Uh, like you said, we went to the theater to see it, and um, it, it was it was us and uh, my girlfriend. So we went there, and it's always this weird thing. And I remember when I went to the theater to see uh, Bruno, Sasha Baron Cohen, and there's a weird thing when porn permeates the big screen. Uh, I, I never went to these. I'm, I'm pretty old, but I never went to these porn theaters and saw porn out with other people. So sometimes <laughs> when a movie like, you know, Bruno, where like when the giant penis is talking and singing the song and everything, and it's like you suddenly, suddenly realize like you're in the room with these other people and you it's the first time you're taking in account of them. Um, and this movie was like that. It, it's, all, it's a little bit like it's very titillating, but it's very scary. Um, I think that this movie is maybe the best cast movie I've ever seen. Kid Cudi executes like the the porn star, like the main porn star guy who uh, is he's, he's the plowing service. Yeah, the Alabama Black Snake is that what he calls it? Um, no, that's from Platoon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway, uh, there's a, a ton of quotable things from him. He takes on this this role of being a porn star is like if you were a construction worker it's just a a job to you gotta you gotta work you know you gotta you gotta have a job he's a blue, he's he's a blue collar porn star he is yeah. and it's great uh he's in he's like an ex-marine as well but yeah this movie has everything i love old people horror so you you get the old people horror you get the the porn and then you also have that like sexy, like, oh, you're having sex, so now you're going to get it. And it's faster paced than most of Ty West's other stuff. And I always liked Ty West, even if I didn't love his films, because you can tell watching them that he's a fan of horror. We often talk about these people that are just cashing in on the genre and trying to do something. And then when they do all these nods, it's very cheap and transparent and we hate them Fidi Alvarez no I'm just kidding um, but you can tell all through his career Ty West is a fan of horror he likes horror he's done it in many different ways and this is definitely the strangely the most accessible one I feel like the most commercial but it's so well made from the first frame to the last frame the only part that I thought was a little uh, jarring was the part where the Fleetwood Mac song is performed. Oh my! All of a sudden, all of a sudden, the guitar is like in a recording studio. Maybe this because you know I do, <laughs> and the vocals are coming through a mic, and it's very clear to me in that. Um, not only do I hate Fleetwood Mac, but also I just thought that was like wow. overproduced. You know what I mean? It was overproduced. It didn't sound like they were sitting in the room playing. Not at all. It sounded like they were in a recording studio. Yeah. And that was almost like, oh my god, are we going to go full American Horror Story here? And they <laughs> are they, they get all out of start it. Start singing. They get out of it. They mash it up with some disturbing stuff that makes it okay for me because I actually feel like a movie in the '70s might do a production move like that. Uh, an amateur production move that takes you out of it. Um, that's one of the things you have to put up with when you you watch authentic movies from the 70s. And I thought this nailed the tone. Uh, Mia Goth forever. I love her. And I did just found out she played uh, Pearl as well. I already know what you think. I would say this is the greatest horror film of 2022 so far that I have seen. We are exactly halfway through the year. And I think it's been uh, kind of a weak horror year yeah, so I'm far. I'm with you guys on that. Like, what's going on? Not, you know, not to, not taking away from this. This is by far Ty West's masterpiece. I and I and I love all of his all his movies. I haven't seen Trigger Man. That's the only one um, that I haven't seen. I don't love the Sacrament, I guess. But uh, this is the Ty West movie. If you're going to see one. Absolutely brilliant. This blows anything away that I've seen this year. There's a lot more to come this year. There's a lot of stuff that I'm excited about. And there's some stuff I haven't seen yet, but like I don't think that hatching is going to make me 
say, wow, that's better than X. I, maybe it will, and I'll report back. But this is an incredible movie. This is such a Texas Chainsaw mm. homage. I mean, it's, it's almost it's beyond Texas, right? homage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if it wasn't so incredibly good, it would be too much Texas Chainsaw. I think we said that when we saw it in the theater. We're like, that's what the, the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre should have been should more have like. Should have been, right. We had already seen that complete piece of total trash um scary old people they got rid of those in the (laughs) in the franchise and they Um, shouldn't have but it's so incredibly faithful and it's such a great tribute there are scenes in this like they cut to the cows in the beginning there the all the scenes that are looking down the hallway to the screen door on the porch i mean there is so much that's like if it if it wasn't so good it would be too much, but it's not too much. I want to keep watching this movie, and I'm kind of sad that we'll have to move on after this. As far as weak points, that landslide scene, that's the only scene. Like, And I love Fleetwood Mac. I, I am not, don't lump me in with Dave. I'm a huge Fleetwood Mac fan, but there are other songs in the world. Folks, I just if I can do one PSA this week, <laughs> there are other songs besides Landslide. I know that... It goes with the whole theme of the aging, and this is kind of all a lot about like the jealousy of the old people because they're past far, far past not only their sexual prime, but they're past their sexual functioning, at least until they get a taste of blood. Um, and so I understand it goes with that, but like there's other songs, man. Um, the only other scene that I felt like went on a little long was when Jackson, who was Kid Cuddy, when he's out in the woods with Howard, the old man, I don't know. It, it went on a little it. long for me. It's a great scene, though, because of the tension. And, and last thing on this movie, there are a lot of movies nowadays that the like horror industrial complex online where you have people who make their livings by like or try to make their livings online by talking about horror movies. They always want to like do these kind of fake deep dives like they want to do a whole blog about. Halloween Kills is about generational community trauma and stuff like that. (laughs) But when they're confronted with something like X, which is about sexual politics, about racial politics, about generational, they don't know what to say. Have you noticed? And they don't say shit about it. Nobody wants to talk about this movie because it is so loaded with sexual and racial and generational tension that it's like, oh, okay, you got nothing to say about X. Love this movie. Thank you, Kevin. I was like, honestly, when you when you brought this in, I was like, man, I already saw it. But man, love this movie. Great pick. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Dave, your comment that is one of the best cast movies. I hadn't thought about that. This movie is loaded. Like, you guys have, have mentioned Mia Goth. I didn't know a lot about her, and I didn't even remember uh, Nymphomaniac. Mm. This is a young, too. young actor. You know, 28 years old. But... You've got Kid Cudi, which you guys have mentioned. You have Jenna Ortega, who apparently is just in every single movie. That it is the year of Ortega. Yeah, it's yeah. it's amazing, and I will double down. She's on got my more more coming. Future Oscar winner. I will say that again. <laughs> uh, she's amazing in this. It's a totally different. Uh, I mean, she gets a little bit like Scream Ortega towards the end when shit really starts going down, but largely throughout this movie, she's giving a very like nuanced, subtle performance yeah. it's yeah. really good Brittany Snow's in this movie just singing like that I just wanted to say really quickly that I wanted to die <laughs> w- when I was Wikipedia looking up IMDB whatever this guy that plays RJ I thought is he was not the guy from the, the Evil, Evil Dead, Dead. Thank you. it's not the guy yes. from the Evil Dead I was like I must be in here somewhere and I'm scrolling through the IMDB I it's the here thing. it's here Dude, he looks when, just like the him. The entire time we watched the movie in the theaters, I thought it was the guy from fucking Eric. Evil Dead. Eric from the 2013 yes, Evil yeah. Dead. Yeah, but looks so, just like him. He does. But to go back to the landslide scene, the fact that they come out of that, and that mercifully they don't make you go through the entire song. I also hate Fleetwood Mac, by the way. I'm sorry, Trent. Yes. I do like landslide. Um, Send your hate mail. Send your hate mail to Dave and Kevin, not me, please. Yep, fine. Gmail.com. But they come out of that scene... And Jenna Ortega's character, which is Church Mouse slash Lorraine, says, like, I want to do a sex scene in the movie. Yes. Like, that's how they break you out of that. And, like, the landslide scene might take you out of it a little bit, 
but that sucks you back in so fast. You're it like, does. whoa. <laughs> yeah, like, and then not evil dead guy is like, who is the cameraman, RJ, uh, who has been totally fine with like shooting uh, what Church Mouse calls a smut film. He's like trying to tell her, oh, this is the yes, cinema. That's right. <laughs> like, I am making porn. I think that's one of the most important things that happens in this movie is that early on, she's the assistant to the director of the movie. So you have the producer. And they're dating. And they're dating. So that you have the producer and then you have the director and the director's girlfriend is on board as his assistant. And early in the movie, she's kind of getting on him like, I can't believe this is what you're doing with your life. We're going to shoot a smut film. This is what you're doing. And he does this whole thing about, no, it's possible to make a good, sexy movie. This is the cinema. You know, this isn't smut. And then later on, not too much later on, that gets totally flipped when she decides that she wants to be in the movie and get fucked by Jackson on camera in front of her boyfriend and everything is turned on set and he doesn't suddenly now, the director, the cinema guy, Mr. Cinema, suddenly doesn't want that to happen. And he's like, we can't just change the script. <laughs> and she like calls him out on it. Like, well, they did it in Psycho. And like, and he's just like trying to like uh, so hold good. his integrity uh, and mask the fact that he just doesn't want Kid Cudi to absolutely ravage his girlfriend. In front Which, of him. By on the film. way, Jenna Ortega <laughs> is like 19 years old today. Oh, really? So when they filmed this... Oh, I didn't know that. She may not have even been over 18. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Martin Henderson playing Wayne, who is sort of... He's the guy that's financing this whole thing. It appears that he may run a strip club where he got uh, Brittany Snow's character, Bobby Lynn, great name, um, and Mia Goth's character, Maxine Minks, great names. Not sure if that's their real name or they already were going by their porn names at that point. Um, the score is fantastic. It's a good mix of some recognizable songs from that era, like Landslide. I, th um, I think the first song in this is Love Will Find a Way by Pablo Cruz. Really? Yeah, when they do the Scorsese shot where it dollies and zooms at the same time up to Mia Goth, who's doing a line of cocaine. Oh, no, but... And then Lovell Finds a Way comes on. So is it not scored at all? Because this is another one of those movies, uh, I love this take, and, and again, this is very Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It starts out 24 hours after later right and the, the cops are at the house yeah the no the first house and the like first scene is another carnage, uh, like. yeah the first scene is another classic where the movie starts after the movie with a, with it starts with like the epilogue where the cops are finding the bodies and saying oh my god what happened here and we've seen that a million times and then it goes to the scene of of mia goth snorting snorting coke with a scorsese shot which kevin you sent me that podcast the cinematography podcast where they talk to the director of photography on this movie and he says that was the only shot where ty west specifically said this is the scorsese shot it's a dolly plus zoom goes in on the coke and then you get that pablo cruz song i had to look that up i'm like this is such a classic like 70s soft jam that you know it. if you're in the doctor's office you're going to hear it but like, who does this? That's a right. that's a great pickup because uh, the first song that I remember hearing, so that would have been like in the background at the strip club, kind of playing in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then right away you get like Mungo Jerry, like in the forefront as they're all getting into the van. Which the reason I said plowing service? Did you guys notice that on the van? Yeah, yeah. The van says plowing okay. service. <laughs> yeah. Martin Henderson was amazing. What I liked most about when these very over overly masculine dudes, uh, when they have, there's a point in the movie where they d realize something's wrong, people are missing, they have to come to the rescue. And it's great to see the porn men, uh, their attire that they choose, they choose to wear when they go to, to like potentially precarious situations. You, you might have to fight. And, and Martin Henderson is in whitey tighties. Uh, and uh, he just goes out and like... And it's, he's a just and strong. I would never, and ever, bare feet. ever bare feet. in bare feet. Yeah, that's a big one. And then uh, and Kid Cudi says he has to put on his skivvies. So he's like butt naked talking to the old guy. And he's like, oh, you know, what's going on? I'll help you. Uh, and has no humility at all about his, his anaconda just hanging out there. But he goes in and gets his underwear on and then goes out. But... Shoes. I at least need shoes. If someone's coming after me, I'm not going to go out in my underwear Hell and no. these people. But, you know, I liked 
not only was this movie quickly paced compared to other Ty West stuff, um, but it was the kills, they like slow it down because you introduce the old people. And the old people had this hypnotic, like, they're always kind of like swaying and they're out of it. And then all of a sudden they're fast <laughs> and they do like one thing. Like all the ki- kills are like no talking, no lead up to it. It's just they pull the oh, trigger or man. they hit the axe. That first or they, kill. Yeah, so many. All the kills are surprise kills. Yeah, yeah. They're all just like boom and they're, they're it's happening. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, all... All the kills are sudden surprise out of nowhere from the first one right through. So effective. Two things that Dave just said. Uh, one, I don't think that this is a quicker paced Ty West movie because nothing horror-esque happens in the first hour. What I think is, if you think about Ty West movies, they're typically smaller casts. So your point about this being like brilliantly cast, I think that gets us through the first part of this movie. There's enough like tension, like building with the older couple, and enough like mystique. Well, and there's porn. I mean, that there's yeah, tons, the porn. Tons, the tons porn gets those. you through that first <laughs> half, like other movies don't. But, maybe, but he does a great job of like. There's eight characters that like you're watching in a Ty West movie, like take House of the Devil. There's like two or three people that you're wondering about and really like one on camera until anything really starts happening. The other point is the deaths. And I've been trying to figure this out because most of them are foreshadowed. So I want to go back through the movie and figure out where the ones that aren't foreshadowed. So when Brittany Snow, who gets eaten by the fucking alligator, Mm -hmm. when they're walking out of the strip club in the beginning, the giant wall of the strip club, oh, there's an alligator wow. with its mouth pointed down at the door. That's a great shot, shit, too. I love, I love that shot. It's a great shot. I love. Uh, oh, when, man. like, the just pulls the trigger that you just said, Dave, uh, which is Kid Cudi's death, he says when he and also, well, the, the old guy. Jenny Ortega's death, too. When he, well, but when Kid Cudi says to the old guy, when they're, like, he's trying to, like, bro down about the fact that they're both, like, ex-military. Yeah. He says, I've had enough farmers waving rifles right. uh, at me. Right. And right before that, that's what the old guy's doing. Right. And he goes, I know what's going on here. And just, boom. Yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, Wayne gets killed. He comes out of the first sex scene with Brittany Snow and, and Kid Cudi. And he's talking to RJ, like, the director. And that's when he's like, you know, everyone's going to want to see what I just did. Feel how hard my dick is. And like grabs like RJ's hand that's and puts a, it like on his yeah, dick. Right, but uh, he's like, people's eyes are going to pop out of their sockets. <laughs> he gets the pitchfork to the face. Right. Like, wow. Wow. I love it. I think that you're both right about the Ty West slow burn thing because, yes, he, you know, this does have kind of a long setup, which is, which is great. I mean, I wouldn't lose any of it. But I think that the, the it has, um, a bunch of more like sudden savage deaths than you usually see in Ty West. The sacrament is all at the end and it's like poison, you know? Okay. Um, house of the devil. I mean, it's, it's all the last minute innkeepers, all the last minute. You don't, this is the first Ty West movie that is more like a slasher where you see people just get picked off, picked off, picked off, picked off. That's not really something that he's done before. So I can see both points there. We haven't really gotten at the fact that the old couple, Pearl and is it Howard? Howard, is yeah. That Howard's the husband. The whole problem here is that Pearl is very, very old, and Howard can no longer fuck her because of his heart. Because yeah, he will he will have a heart attack, and she is jealous when she discovers that not only are these young, attractive people on her property, but they're using their youth to make smut films and just, like, fuck freely. Yeah, And yeah. she wants some of that. Yeah. And there's some other underlying things that maybe we can get into uh, before we wrap. Um, but she basically decides, like, look, Howard won't fuck me, and I'm going to now take out my wrath. And what I think we'll find out in the prequel, what she missed in her life. Yeah, I would say the real horror of this movie is the old people's sex scene. I want to <laughs> oh, I want a trigger warning right now everybody. This is like it's making me sick to know how much Dave actually loved that scene. Uh little trigger warning, very old, disgusting looking people having sex. That was I had a tough time there. The other day I was I was driving with my mom and somehow the topic of 
sex came up and she started to say, when you get my age, sex is like, and then she saw a garage sale and she's an old person with ADHD. So she was like, you know, when you get my age, sex is like a garage sale. <laughs> and I was like, oh, like a baseball bat in an old boot. Anyway, I wanted to talk about Mia Goth's affirmations that happened throughout the movie. I think it adds like a real soul to the movie. And I think it makes a connection, not just between Mia Goth and her, her character that she plays as the old person, but between Pearl and Maxine. Like there's a connection there, like they're kindred spirits or they're somehow connected like the same person because of all this, this regret that Pearl has, she's just like festering and the whole time Mia Goth has says all these affirmations to herself about success and about being famous yeah. and being somebody. And, and you get the feeling that, you know, there's all this, you know. That, yeah, I will not accept a life that I don't deserve. And that reminds me, there is one little twist. Let's not give that one away. This is brand new. There is a little twist there. Let's not do that. Well, I don't know what you're talking about then. Oh, did you not get the the final twist at the end? There's they, a little twist. In, I think it, we need to talk in about In relation it. to the affirmations... That's there. That, oh, where oh that, yeah, I know that twist. Okay, yeah, I'm just saying twist. maybe let's not reveal the television that. twist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, there, there is one scene that I just want to mention. I mean, I could talk about this movie for two or three episodes. I was telling these guys before I could just go from the opening scene all the way through and say why it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> but there's a there's a, a juxtaposition of lemonade scenes in this that is incredible where. Mia Goth's character, Maxine, has gone to the old people's house, and the uh, old lady seems to sort of like, there's a sexual tension between the two of them, as much as there is, of course, as there, whenever there is like puritanical judgment, there's also a sexual tension, and they sit down and they have a glass of lemonade together, and it's almost like they're messing around, it's like secret, there's this kind of feeling that Howard can't find out that they had lemonade together, and later Howard finds the lemonade, and he doesn't look too happy about it, but while that's happening, it keeps cutting back to a scene from the porn that's being filmed, where Britney Snow's character invites Jackson in for lemonade, right. oh, my daddy's not home, she says to him, he's not going to be back for a little while, y'all ought to come in and cool off with some lemonade, and then there's this whole, like, I mean, interracial cuck is a huge part of this. I, you know, it's not the most comfortable subject, but Ty West is shoving America's interracial cuck right. complex down your throat the whole movie. Down and that ties throat. into, like, both of those lemonade scenes. It's really brilliant to me. Also, like, a lot of the stuff that I found Ty West talking about... Um, I loved that the cinematographer's podcast, Trent, like Elliot Rock talking about. That was great. Yeah, yeah. it's a great podcast. Um, that episode is fantastic, but the the whole podcast is, is awesome if you want to get into like filmmaking uh, or hearing about filmmaking. Um, one of Dave, I think you mentioned that like horror was kind of getting. You didn't use these words, but it was almost like horror was getting like a little soft like this year. Ty West says those words when you hear him talk about his reasoning for making X. So, I mean, he made, what, House of the Devil in 2005? Yeah, somewhere around there, yeah. So it's been like 15, 17 years. It's been quite a while. He made like six horror movies in a row. Yeah. This is his first like uh, horror feature since The Sacrament. Right. And he made like a, a dark Western or something in 2016. Yeah, and he was involved in VHS. So like, I was curious like what he'd been up to oh, since for- 2016. Like, I was in the, in the yeah, Valley I of, about uh, that. In the Valley of Violence. Right. He did a bunch of TV stuff. And I think what we're seeing here is the melding of his still going to A24, making sure this was like he had complete control, independent horror film, but using what he had learned from working on major network TV shows. And, and they were like horror shows, like a lot of them. But he really wanted to show like what filmmaking was like, and he thought that horror was getting soft. And he decided the perfect way to do that is he had this idea bubbling up and he said there's a real correlation between porn and what horror movies were about to become in like the 80s uh, that they were just looked at as yeah, yeah. trash. Yeah. Anyone can do it. And I loved what he did that here, what, what he did with that here and how he made RJ like legitimately passionate. And even like Wayne, as much of like 
a shit bag he kind of came off as. Like he was passionate. We're Absolutely. gonna make something great. We're, we're gonna do here. the numbers That's of it. Debbie does Dallas. It's, he says it. It's yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> Debbie does Dallas. I think the three of us in this room all know Debbie does. Like, I, have, we, I haven't I mean, seen it. I, I mean, it's like it. it's Boogie Nights. That yeah, first part is yeah. like Boogie Nights because of the banter, because of the dreams, because the coke addled dreams. You yeah, know what I mean, I'm pretty sure when we walked out of the theater, Dave, you said something like Texas Boogie Massacre Nights or something uh, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, this movie. yeah, that was the take. It's also uh, it's done well. I don't know what the budget was. I couldn't find that. I don't know if you could. No, find that. I don't know. It made it made over 14 million at the box office, which is I can't imagine it costs even close to that. But Should have been more. So great to see at the movies. What I am excited about is the fact that uh, did you guys? So we did not stick around in the theater. To see the trailer for yeah, the I, prequel. Yeah. So what happened is when they were filming this movie in, in New Zealand, one of New Zealand's COVID protocols was you had to quarantine in your hotel room for two weeks. So Mia Goth right. and Ty West started digging into the backstory of Pearl. And what happened is they ended up writing an entire prequel. Ari Aster went to A24, which, again, this is why this oh, fucking studio... I'm sorry. Ty West went to A24, thank you, uh, and said, hey, we actually just wrote a whole script for a prequel. Are you cool if we just shoot this? Like, if we just stick around for a few more weeks right, and shoot this? Right, they shot it back to back. And they shoot, shot the whole thing back to back. That's amazing. Um, so if you stuck around in, in, I think it was just in the U.S., we would have seen the trailer for Pearl. And now you can't find it anywhere. Interesting. So I found a guy that found like a bootlegged version of it on YouTube. So I was able to watch, he did like a, oh. one of his YouTube, like one of his YouTube, I'm going to break this down and just frame by frame. So like he wouldn't huh. get his video pulled. Right. Um, oh, okay. Huh. I think I know what it's about based on like this, this trailer breakdown, but Ty West has come out and said, this, it's not what you think. And now he has aspirations to make this a trilogy and have a X universe. I was super excited when I found out about Pearl, which I think is going to be out soon, right? They're it went to uh, it went to be scored in May, so it's definitely deep into post production. The, the only thing that kind of took a little bit of wind out of my sails is that stylistically, West has said it's going to be like old, like it's a period piece of when Pearl would have been Pearl from this movie, which takes place in '79, when she would have been. Um, Maxine's age, and so it's not going to be an, a continuation of this vibe of this like seventy slash. No, but vibes. but I think that's exciting because Mia Goth is going to play Pearl again. Yeah, yeah, and that West has said if he can make the third movie, it'll be a direct sequel to X. And that ties into the thing I was saying about Mia Goth uh, or Maxine and Pearl being the same person. It's going to even accentuate that when they do a whole yeah. movie with her playing that. Yeah, yeah, levels, man. It's insane. All right, my second pick this week for my film within a film theme. I'm just going to read this. Shit, it's coming up now. In 1982, a series of brutal murders rocked Crippen High School. The killer was never apprehended. Three months ago, Cosmic Pictures went to the town of Crippen to film the story of what actually happened, making the movie in the very halls of the now abandoned school. They were not alone. Oh my God. 1987's Return to Horror High, directed by Bill Froelich, who never went on to do much of anything else. After seeing this movie, I understand why. This mostly is famous for having George Clooney in his first leading role and for also somehow having Maureen McCormick from The Brady Bunch uh, as a super horny cop that loves getting blood all over her. The film, within a film aspect, is in 82, some kids died. In 87, a film crew goes back to the school, which has been closed since the murders. Killer was never caught, as I just narrated. And they want to make a movie about the murders that happened at this school, and then people start dying. We are not going to give this movie any respect in terms of like hiding nah. anything that happens. Nah, yeah, it's fine yeah, with me. Yeah, you're good. Basically, this movie is terrible until I watched it and read about it enough. Um, and I kind of started to like appreciate what they were going for. 
but what they failed to achieve. So, to like right out front, this is supposed to be a horror comedy. Uh, maybe at some point they meant for this to be a serious horror movie. I don't think so. I think that this was made in the late 80s, 87. I think this this is Scream before Scream, done obviously way worse, but they were making fun of the bad slasher movies that were coming out. They decided to like make it super meta and super twisty, and then I don't know if it was dur- if it was the script or during the editing phase, they just fucked it all up and made a super confusing and difficult to enjoy movie. Uh, and they also did not make it super clear that it was comedy. Other than Maureen, M- Marsha Brady in this is actually pretty hilarious. I had never seen this. This is a rare moment for me on the podcast where like, I typically try to curate and know what I'm coming in with. I went for it this week, guys. I apologize to you. <laughs> what I will say to try to redeem myself is I think this movie is going to be more fun to talk about than it was to watch. Pass. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. JK. Um, yeah, you know, I, I thought uh, this was, I had never seen this either, and I thought this was a curious choice for someone who just last episode was complaining about all of the 80s horror movies that we've been watching a lot of low budget to pick this movie and then much mining i have to do for that stuff i know and then mining and then i started to wonder maybe this is a troll maybe he's throwing it in our face and what he's doing is he's saying oh you want to watch all these low budget 80s movies and say how great they are oh here you go Return to Horror High. What do you think about this one? Um, so I've been a little confused because I hate this movie so much. This is one of the worst movies we have seen on this program to this day. I it's just the, and the thing is, I just I do want to say though, seriously, Kevin, two things. There are some things about this movie that. I do appreciate having suffered and done my due diligence here. There are some things, and you nailed it, Kevin. This is a satire. The problem is a satire is supposed to be smarter than the thing that it's satirizing so that it can be funny and better than that. Right. <laughs> and this fails. So this just oh, – they tried to satire the the glut of, of shitty slasher movies in the 80s, and what they ended up doing – is making the shittiest slasher movie or one of of the 80s. That's the main problem with this. I think there were some good intentions and there are some things that I can say I, I appreciate about the movie. All right. So, I'm going to go I'm going to do like a thing like they do an X and like a lot of these classic movies. I'm going to start at the ending. I made some notes for this and I don't always <laughs> write notes, but I hated this so much that I had to write about it. <laughs> I've been getting a lot of Weird disses from Kevin over the last few months when it comes to 80s horror. It's all recorded. I have the receipts. All I have to say is bringing Return to Horror High into the conversation is like talking about jazz and offering up Kenny G. (laughs) Now, Now, since we've talked, since we've talked, I no longer have this stance, but I thought that this was your idea of a great 80s horror movie. You I know was, what I mean? Honest, I was like, what? Oh, my God. I had never I, seen I, it. I read, too never fu- seen I read too much into it. But anyway. <laughs> and, I, and I will take responsibility for giving you that vibe. Right. Well, I call these things. I call these things down. I try to refine them down, reduce them down to the stuff that we really need to see when it comes to the 80s stuff. Because the thing about the 80s is the good news is there's one billion 80s horror movies to watch. But the bad news is, is there's one billion ho- bad horror movies to watch, right. too. Like, you have to, like, really, like, weed your way through this stuff. And um, I'm waiting for Rob Zombie to make a, a movie that has uh, Marsha Brady. Is she still alive? Maureen McCormick, yes, yeah. she is. She oh, yeah. was in a movie uh, in 2017, actually, we could talk about. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for Rob Zombie to bring her back and have her, like, get killed while blowing a guy at a truck stop. 
that's he did that with the, the girl from Three's Company. He had like a a gun in her mouth or something. Terry Gar? So, no, the one that uh, Suzanne Summers. No, it's Terry. It's not Terry Gar, but Terry. She played Terry. Well, on there the were show. three Terrys. Yeah, Terry yeah. Gar. Okay, the, the other young the, Frankenstein or Cindy. Maybe it was Cindy. right. Cindy, you're right. Cindy. Yeah, it was yeah, Cindy. yeah. Okay. She was All in right. uh, Devil's Rejects. Um, but anyway, that's totally off the point. But it's a parody. It doesn't go far enough to separate it, it from more serious, like whodunit slashers from this era, like April Fool's Day or Happy Birthday to Me. Or any. Yeah. It's almost like a, a cleaned up trauma film. And that's not necessary at all. The most disjointed story I've ever tried oh to wrap my, my head God. around, ever. Oh There's so God. many undeveloped characters, nonlinear timelines, flashbacks, dream sequences. Masters of Disguise, oh. bad acting on purpose, bad acting on accident. Yes, film within a film. <laughs> what the fuck shit is going on shit. with the sex scene and the welding scene <laughs> going on at the same time? They cut back and forth. It's just like the uh, Fleetwood Mac scene in the other movie, where there's two scenes cutting back and forth to add some kind of like dynamic. It's just so weird in this movie. There's so many things that don't make sense. The sandbox thing. Oh why why doesn't all the I sand go down the what? hole? Uh, uh. What's going on? I liked the fate of the perverted biology teacher. See, I thought that scene was too long. Oh, a terrible, but, terrible scene. But anyway, I'm a big fan of 80s horror, but I do know you have to sift through it. And this is not it. <laughs> this is not even like, nah. like we watch Motel Hell. That's, it's close. A, that's a parody. <laughs> It's yeah. a it's a horror comedy yes. last week. Satire. And yeah, exactly. And this is you're you're exactly right about it not hitting the way it should. I got here tonight to record and Dave couldn't it, it took only mere minutes. We usually try to like reserve like some of our conversations <laughs> or like our thoughts on the takes and Yo. Dave was like I am going to come at you so hard. <laughs> Jimmy G. I've been holding back <laughs> and I was like I've been holding like, back. Whoa 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 whoa. Whoa whoa whoa. Dude, I've never seen this. And then you could see like this relief wash over Dave's face like oh my god, I had lost trust in a friend. Well, I've been holding back for days because I didn't want to like, I didn't want to create a situation. I was, Dave and I haven't talked about it at all, but I, I really want to say that I'm glad that you picked this movie, Kevin, because I do the same thing. I like to pick things sometimes that I haven't seen before because we're always talking about stuff that we already know. And yeah, a lot of times we get to know it much better. We change our opinions about it and it's important. We want to highlight it, whatever. But part of the fun of this whole thing to me is like seeing something new. Like that's, you know, that's what I love about it. So I like to to pick some things that I haven't seen before, and I'm going to do that next week. So I salute you for doing that. It didn't work out. Stick to the 90s, bro. Maybe 80s horror. Uh, 90s thing. cats. <laughs> but, you're right. But I would like to just say that one of the things I did appreciate in this was uh, the exploding boob that happened. Uh, I, also, I also thought the janitor had a similar swagger to Kid Cudi. <laughs> He wanted to go do. He wanted to do pussy movies. He wanted to do pussy movies. That's right. That's right. After this movie, he's going to do the pussy movies. But That's what yeah, he says. This is why the movie that ties is in. more fun to talk about. Is some of the stuff is actually funny. It's just Dave. To your point. So, uh, like, let's set it up. So, the movie starts very similarly to X. It's the aftermath. And the cops are on scene at the school. Yep. There's a exactly. bunch of dead bodies outside. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Unlike X, they don't give you the beautiful, you know, Scorsese Coke scene and the the title card 24 hours earlier. This movie cuts back nope. and forth it's so with confusing. absolutely no title card. Oh, cards. my God. I had no idea it was So never. then what it does is it starts showing you the fact that, like, this film company is making this super low-budget movie at the school. But then it keeps cutting back to the cop scene and then back to the film, you know, the film within a film. Uh, and it does not do a good job with that. And at the end, what you discover is that the only survivor is the writer of the film who spends the entire time being badgered by the producer and the director to rewrite his movie the entire time. And he's the only person that survived. And the cops are like, he, he's narrating what happened. So ostensibly, that's what you're seeing in the flashback scenes. 
And then the cops rush in because they discover something. And then the writer says, all clear, all the dead bodies get up. And you discover that what you've seen is a horror movie full of deaths that are mostly lame. Terrible. That never happened. Terrible deaths. But there was no one kills. real death. No good kills. There was one real death. You think it's right, right here. You think it's movie? George Clooney. You think Clooney was George Clooney's the only real death, and no one ever. I mean, even if you're doing all this stuff, if you have one real death, you it would be a big deal. People would be talking about it. You don't just be like, "Oh, we, we did this big prank," but one guy actually died. Okay, I think you might be right that Clooney's death is real. So Clooney, this is his first feature film. He's in it for about 15 minutes. Not worth it. And then he dies. But the way he leaves is he is the lead actor, and he runs up and tells them, I just got the lead in a TV series, and I'm out. I think that happened in real life. As a measure of how confusing this movie is, I watched it twice because as much as I despised it, it's so confusing. I kept thinking that the film within a film scenes, of which there are way too many, so much time is spent where they're filming the movie in the movie and it's nothing of consequence, has nothing to do with anything that happens. I kept thinking those were flashbacks to the original you know, crimes that this is supposed to be about. Right. It keeps messing with you, not in a, in a cool way, just in a, a shitty, a, a, a poorly made film way. So I actually had to watch it again just because I was so confused, the, you know, the whole entire time. And Kevin, you mentioned that the writer of the film within a film, one thing that this does like marginally well is stuff like his name is Arthur, the author. His name is Arthur Lyman, Lyman. I, uh, there's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff with the names. Like, okay. It's like, and it's also, like, blackface is not cool in 2022. Uh, yeah. There's I mean, a big blackface it's a ve- There's a very Scooby-Doo moment in the movie <laughs> that is kind of like, I burst out laughing when that happened. <laughs> like, I, was, I was burst out laughing. I was numb by that point, yeah. There is just, there I is watched this five times. I started this movie five times, and I, I fell asleep, but I thought that I never watched it. But I did watch it because I'd fast forward through like, oh, yeah, I saw that, saw that, saw that, saw that, saw that. And then I realized that it's like you get a little you know, closure at the end, but it's so nonsensically paced that it's, you, it's, it's hard to follow at all. Total mess. Alex Rocco, he's a real actor. He's in this. He's a guy who's done some stuff. I don't know why he was in this. Well, I mean, this was like later in his career. Definitely later. Well, and, not, um, I mean, not necessarily, because he did go on to do a bunch of voice work for, like, Pixar and stuff. Right. He has a great um, voice. Yeah, but have you looked up his, like, past life, like, his history? No. This dude grew up in Boston and had, like, gang affiliate, like, mafia affiliations, like, did prison time. And, like, when he got out of prison, went out to L.A. and was like, ah, I guess I'll get into acting. Forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, great, great. If you look up Alex Rocco, it's a it's a, f- a fascinating backstory. Uh, but he's great in this. Like he's so over. He's, he's the good. producer. I, I did like the producer. And yeah, like the sleazy. But, but, he's but sleazy. there are a lot of like I don't I d- do not come at me with this. There's a lot of decent social commentary in this movie, in terms of not only is it making fun of 80s slashers, but you have Laurie Lethen who's playing the female lead, Callie. Well, she plays like four characters in the movie. Which is one of the other like stupidly confusing things. <laughs> so no, no, uh, she did a bunch of like eighty horror, uh, broke down palace uh, as well, which I actually think is a fantastic film. Um, but she has like a scene where she is about to be raped by the quarterback, and you you don't know what you're watching. Again, this movie's confusing, so you're like, "What am I watching? Oh my god, is this happening?" And then all of a sudden, Alex Rocco's producer character, like his hand comes into the scene, and he's like, "Did you get her? You ever tits in the shot?" Uh, and he's constantly trying to get her to do like a yeah, nude he, scene, and yeah. she goes off on this great like rant, yeah, about you know eighties horror, you know, just taking advantage of women, uh, and some uh, at one point she like yells, I think it's at the guy that she was acting with, like, um, like why don't you why don't you walk through a, a, a scene with your schlong hanging out? Only in your case, it would be a schlort. And I was yeah, like, that is a line, people. Yeah, so she delivers that whole 
uh, soliloquy about the exploitation and and that there's nothing redeeming about this movie. And the sleazy producer's response is he goes to the screenwriter, Arthur, and uh, he tells him, you got to write, uh, write a redeeming scene in this, you know, something hopeful, something about babies, but set it in the locker room showers. That's like his, <laughs> his answer to her whole critique. So, and I guess for 87, that might be a little bit more biting commentary than 2022. I mean, I will give it some credit for that among some other things. Well, but... when I was saying blackface, to, to clarify, it's a black man in the movie the entire time. And then all of a sudden, they pull off his face. And when they pull off his face, uh, the principal has who is white under the hands, mask, who is under white the mask. hands, white wrists, white forearms. <laughs> Everything else is the same, but he just rips off his mask. <laughs> like it's face off or something, or, you know, like. Mission Impossible. Exactly. And it, it just did it's not. It's just unbelievable. The, right the soundtrack. Is absolutely brutal, and I usually mean that in a good way on this show. But I mean, don't watch this movie. This so movie, bad. Bites. I know. I would say it's on Tubi, but uh. don't. Worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and and honestly, Marsha Brady is one of the best parts. She really is. Maureen she, McCormick. Like, and when they yes. when they keep going back to the present day, she is just keeps coming back to give that lead detective dog. or whatever updates on what's going on inside and she is just increasingly covered in blood and holding body parts uh and like dave said eating a hot dog well she's uh, she's way too happy to be like at one point she says like just sliding through blood well she's increasingly bloodied and increasingly aroused right to the to the point where when she finally is covered in blood completely she starts groping her own breast and being you know it it's too bad to see Maureen McCormick make these kind of choices. She's trying to get into film. You know, but I did see that she was in a movie in 2017 directed by um, Todd Holland, Ted Holland. You don't know about this movie, Kevin? No. Okay. Hold, hold, I, I know that, that post Brady Bunch that uh, uh, Maureen McCormick had some um, – she had some issues coming oh, out of the Brady oh, really? Bunch. I mean, as uh, you know, I, I think a lot of child stars from that era <laughs> – did. Yeah, Rock Paper Dead from 2017, directed by Tom Holland, written by Victor Miller of Friday the 13th. Wow. I haven't oh, seen that. Tom Holland's I, I, also an actor. Yeah, I don't think it's a big role, but... Um, Wait, Tom Holland, like Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Tom Holland wrote the uh, sequel to Psycho, and he also directed the um, first Child's Play movie. Hey, next week, we're going to check out two films by the British director Ken Russell. And one I've never seen before. I'm going sight unseen with you, Kevin, because it's one of the most controversial movies ever made. It's called The Devils. It's on Shudder from 1971. And we're going to check out Altered States, starring William Hurt, R.I.P. That's a VOD. That's a VOD.